Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see everyone today. Uh, I send uh, greetings and regrets from Pastor Kurt. He is in uh, San Marcos, Nacogdoches, somewhere down there with his son and wife. Uh, his son, um, Jason, is in the state tennis tournament this week and uh, doing his thing. And so uh, he's down there che- cheering him on. Uh, Jason's a really good tennis player. And so this is an exciting time for them. Uh, so, But he uh, is sad to be missing this this morning for sure. Um, we are in Second Samuel uh, chapter 6, uh, but before we kind of jump into the text this morning, um, I want to read from uh, Psalm 34, and there's just a couple of themes uh, from this psalm. Now, we've read this psalm before. Uh, it actually is one of David's psalms. Uh, Remember when he uh, pretended to be crazy um, in front of the king of the Philistines in order to kind of, so that they could say, okay, you're out of here. But then eventually David goes back and it's just kind of a weird uh, time in David's life, all of his relationship uh, with the Philistines. Um, But nonetheless, what we're dealing with here in 2 Samuel chapter 6 certainly fits uh, with David's prayer here in Psalm 34. So we're just going to do verses 1 through 8. Let's pray. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called... And the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, last week we covered that kind of destabilizing story of David uh, leading the charge of bringing the ark into Jerusalem where it would rest for over a thousand years, right? And um, uh, they put it on a cart. But you're not supposed to do, they put the ark on a cart. You're not supposed to put the ark on the cart. You're supposed to do what? You're supposed to carry it. There you go. And so here's the, here, here, here's the quiz from last week. David is afraid of God, right? Because the guy who touched the ark died. And so he goes and stuffs the ark in this guy's house, right? Uh, his name was uh, Obed-Edom, right? What causes David to say, hmm, maybe I should rethink this? Blessed, right, Kurt? So where the blessings are, people usually show up. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah. I mean, we want good things to happen. Uh, that word bless is the word Barack. I know for those of us who didn't appreciate Barack Obama as president, it's like you feel like he took the word from us. No, it's the other way around. His parents named him that because of blessing. He was their blessing. And so they named him Barack. Comes from that word, okay? And so uh, it literally means to kneel. Where does blessing come from? Come on, Kurt. When we are on our knees, but who gives the blessing? God. Who does the kneeling? God. It's like God comes down. And it's when our space overlaps with God's space, right? The blessing is released. The joy and happiness. That's, that's those ways that word can be translated. It's when that kneeling, this I, I call it mutual kneeling. Blessing happens when God kneels. And when we recognize that God is trying to do something in our lives, we kneel and accept it. So here we go. David's like, okay, we got to rethink this. I'm heading back to Obed-Edom's house, and we're going to try this again. But he tried it again after he sought the Lord, going back to the psalm. And um, he actually dug, it, dug into Scripture, how am I actually supposed to handle this ark? And uh, we, uh, we noticed that they took it, they carried it. In verse 13 here, they carried it. They weren't, it wasn't on a cart anymore. Uh, and then he starts to sacrifice. Hmm. Now, um, David was anointed by Samuel. Remember way back when? He was anointed by Samuel to be what? What? King. Yeah, these are not trick questions. Uh, to be king. Uh, the oil, Samuel, remember his brothers, he's the youngest, he's out in the field, and he is anointed to be king. And all of a sudden here, with all of this rejoicing and blessing and um, this taking up of the ark, and don't miss that, they are going up to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, all of a sudden, David starts acting not like a king, but like a priest. And I think we went over this last week. He was wearing, verse 14, a linen ephod. Uh, the translation Kurt uses, it's really helpful here for us. Uh, wearing a priestly garment. And what do priests do in ancient Israel? The main things that they do. <laughs> That's one thing. There's the ones that carry the ark. Good. What else? The go between between God and the people. They stood in the gap, right? And when they were standing in the gap, particularly, what were they doing? They were sacrificing. <clears throat> And now, who's doing the sacrificing? As the ark of the Lord, excuse me, no, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, like they're going deliberately, he, who's the he? David. He 
sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, priestly garment, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now, some people um, envision David dancing here in his underwear. That's not what he was doing. He put on intentionally the garment of a priest. There is, uh, and you've heard Pastor Kurt say this before, uh, there was nothing in the ancient world that was white. Especially in Israel. It's all just dirt and dust. Egypt the same way. And so white was reserved for special occasions for the garments of the priest. And then he's dancing, and um, they were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Oh, what's going on with this trumpet thing? And this going up. Any, any memories of other biblical stories about going up and trumpets? That's very close, very good. Anything else? Hey, there you go. That's the really the one uh, that you go up the mountain. They're going up the mountain, Mount Sinai, when Moses and the Israelites leave Egypt, and they are Moses is going up to get the law. And uh, remember, Moses is gone. Uh, he goes up and meets with the Lord, and when he comes down, how does he look? He's shining bright white, right? And so you're supposed to start getting all of these uh, connections between David and, and Moses and what, what the way that which God was at work in Moses. It was like there in Egypt, when they came out of Egypt, God was giving his people in the world a brand new start. And here David has subdued the Philistines, like the enemies are out of the way. The ark is going up to its rest, going up to the mountain, to its resting place, because of what? Why is the ark moving now? Blessing, right? And why is Israel always blessed? To be a blessing to the nations, right? So it's like this new start is is brewing, and uh, hmm. And the thing that you're supposed to be at this point in the story, you know, we're all the way through First Samuel, or we're six chapters into Second Samuel. Hmm. Maybe this David is the one that he is the one that is going to save the whole world to be the Messiah. Maybe he's the one. I wanted to flip back. Um, we'll flip back uh, and do a couple of things uh, today. We, it's like totally geeking out, but we're going to give it a try. Um, I'm going to flip back to 1 Samuel 17. I confess to you, uh, I had never noticed this before. And uh, I was listening to a podcast. I did a lot of driving uh Thursday and Friday, I went up to Oklahoma to see my mom and was listening to a lot of different podcasts, and I heard this, and it just blew my mind. So, David and Goliath, what, what, is, what, what are the things that you remember most about Goliath? 
Come on. His meanness. What's that? His meanness. Yeah. Yeah. Send somebody out. What else? He's big, tall. What else? Battle hardened soldier. Battle hardened soldier. Very good. Cursed. Yeah. Anything else? Spear. Keep going. Dig. Philistine, like a major enemy of Israel. Verse 4 of chapter 17. Notice what the writer of 1 Samuel really wants us to know about Goliath by reading these verses. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, we've all kind of touched on all those things, right? Verse 5. He had a, what kind of helmet? Bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of, what? What do you got there? Bronze scale armor. Weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin slung on his back. So by just reading that verse, what is the main thing that you that the writer of 1 Samuel wants us to know about Goliath? Bronze. Why? Any thoughts? Well, it may be like the technology of the day. They were they were more techno- technologically advanced than the Israelites, and that is certainly the truth. But is there more? Yeah, there's a reliance on it. Yeah, and we know that that reliance on it did not serve him well. That's good. But these are the these are the things that we miss. I've been reading the story of David and Goliath since I was in Sunday school. Y'all too, right? And uh, we get what we get when we get it. But when things start to open us open up, open up to us in a new way, we got to do something with it. Every Hebrew word has a three-letter root. And then the the way they pronounce the word, you know, they add letters on to the beginning or on to the end, and the vowels make different sounds when they pronounce the words. Would it kind of surprise you if the same word for serpent was the same three-letter root? Snake. Why does he call it a scale armor? It's another way, it's, it's, a, it's like a clue for us to say, oh, this bronze is actually supposed to cause us to think about Goliath being some sort of serpent. Then what's that supposed to make you do? Like, where was the first serpent in Scripture? In the garden, right? And what does the writer of the book of Genesis, Moses, what does he say is going to happen to this snake? That there is going to be an offspring of the woman. One of the woman's seeds, right? Who is going to do what to that snake? Crush his head. And what does David do to Goliath's head? Well, there's interesting, there's actually interesting um, that 
there could be evidence that David actually hit Goliath in the knee. Don't freak out too bad. How does David fall? How does Goliath fall when he gets hit with the rock? He falls forward. You get hit hit in the head with a slingshot coming at you 100 miles an hour. Which direction are you going to go? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Could be. Anyway, that's really beside the point, but it's just something to ponder. But the fact of the matter is, the next thing that the writer is concerned about is that David does what to his head? Cuts it off. It's gone. And so if you're an ancient Israelite and you have been raised with this story uh, from Genesis your whole life, and then you hear and you see this, it's like, whoa, maybe he is the snake crusher. He is the, going to be the one that saves the world and actually is the one who will bring, make everything that is wrong in this world and make it right again. And one of the one of the other things that is is we're going through the story here in Second uh, Samuel six. Yeah, David was uh, anointed to be king. What does a king do? Rules. That's what a king does. Going back to the first the, Genesis chapter one, when God raises up the humans. In his image, what does he raise them up to do? Rule. That's, that's Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, the human is placed in the garden to do two things. To avad. This is what we've been going through on Sunday mornings. To avad and shamar. To serve and protect. And those are the words that are used to describe the work that the priests do in the temple and in the tabernacle. And so here David is coming up, and now he is wearing his priestly garb. It is like all of this stuff from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 comes rushing forward. Is David the one? And that is what you're supposed to, your, your heart is kind of supposed to be saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we know the rest of the story. And we will continue to work through that. Is David the one? Does David pass the test? No. Fundamentally, unequivocally, no. You may be getting this, but why was he acting like a priest when he was king? Oh, because see... In Genesis, in Genesis, what is the human? Is he a king or a priest? Both. We too are that we you know that. So I, I just can't state this enough. This whole idea that Jesus came and died on the cross so that we could believe in him and go to heaven when we die is just such a small part of the gospel. All, all that Jesus did was to show us and to restore us. And forgiveness is the foundation of all that. If we can't be in right relationship with God, how can we possibly be restored in our calling of who God has made us to be? We can't. 
but it is to restore us to our original calling to rule and to bless. Kings rule, priests bless. What got David excited about bringing the the ark back in? Blessing. Genesis chapter 1. Humans are made in God's image to rule. Any uh, Chronicles of Narnia fans in the room? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Anybody? You should know these books. You should know them. Uh, you should, if you have Disney+, Plus, you should at least watch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, the four main characters in the book, they are called Kings and Queens of Narnia. Sons of Adam, Daughters of Eve, Kings and Queens of Narnia. Why does C.S. Lewis call them that? Genesis chapter 1. Humans are made to rule. To rule in partnership with God. Right? We rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. And then, as priests, we are called to Shamar and uh, Avad and Shamar. Serve and protect. That's our job as, as priests. Let me just flip forward real quick to help kind of kind of um, knock this home, uh, Johnny. If you'll turn to First Peter chapter two, so this is Peter reflecting on on uh, who we are. I'll I'll actually back up and read uh, verse four. As you come to him, the living stone, this is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There it is. It's not just to go to heaven when we die. But we together are being called by God to be a holy priesthood, to stand in the gap, to mediate God's grace and forgiveness to a hurting and broken world. Verse 9, skip down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, underline that, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are royals? They're kings and queens and princes and uh, princes and princesses. Right? That's Royals. We don't, we're, we're not good. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's historically, we have just not been good as the church about getting comfortable with our calling. David is, is walking into both of these uh, with his uh, connection with the ark here. And we'll, we'll keep keep reading here, and, and you'll see the connection between what's going on here and with blessing, right? As the ark of the Lord... Did, did that help any, Johnny? Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, very good. 
as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Now that's interesting that the writer uh, describes Michael like that, because who also is Michael? No, that's, that's what it says. Daughter of Saul, but who else is she? David's wife. So why does he, the writer say Michael, David's wife? Mm. This, this tension between the houses of David and the houses of Saul will not let up. You think now that Saul's out of the picture, that all that stuff is in the past, and it will just continue to rear its ugly head uh, all the way through the book. So, daughter of Saul watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Is it because David seems to be making a fool of himself? Is it because David is doing the work of a priest when he, in fact, is a king? And that she doesn't have this capacity to understand that actually those two offices, when they are, are being lived out of a good and pure heart, that when they come together, that is the most beautiful thing? Not sure, but she doesn't like it. Verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Who first pitched the tent uh, for God's uh, for for God's uh, ark? That would be Moses. Exodus. Moses pitched a tent. So it's the exact same word. So again, you're supposed to be you're supposed to be making these connections between David and Moses. And David sacrificed, here he continues his priestly work, uh, David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Um, now a question you should also ask, well, where are all the priests? Saul killed them. There's only one uh, that's left, and he kind of seemed to have faded out of the story. Right, and so that may be another reason why David is doing this work is because. But I, I really think that the writer is making this theological statement of uh, the king and the priestly aspects of our shared life together is coming into focus with David, who could, it seems to be, be the Messiah. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people. In the name of the Lord Almighty. So that blessing that was happening in the home of Obed-Edom came from where? Came from God. David got some bravery up, got some uh, gumption up to actually follow what the law uh, it requires concerning the ark. He took his time. They, he, he, he did his work as a priest. And as he did that, that blessing flowed through him and out to the people. The blessing was never intended to be for David alone, but was to be for everyone. Right? And so this is what ruling and being a priest looks like at its best. That we position our life in such a way where we are close to God. Where God kneels. Because 
we are kneeling in humility. And God pours his blessing into our life so that we can pass it along to others. Questions, thoughts? You think it was pride that was pushing David? Well, it, you know, David is all, there's always two sides of the David coin or two sides of David's heart. Verse 19, it's interesting. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Okay, so why do you do that? Well, one is that you're an extension of God's blessing. That you have an abundance as king and you share it with everyone. When your heart is in a good place, that's what you do. But the other side of David's heart, he could be doing this to say, hey, I got you. And, and be loyal to me. I'm your king. Yeah. I would say there's probably some of both going on here. Could be. Especially because we know the rest of the story. Other thoughts? Questions? So, brothers and sisters, I just, I implore you that this, this takes a lot of practice and a lot of intentionality on our part to live our days. Um, and it, it's like, if, you, if you're not careful, you will forget this the moment you wake up in the morning unless you remind yourself that we are God's images. We are made in God's image. What does an image do? It represents God. God rules and God stands in the gap for us. God blesses. We, as his representatives, we do the things that God does. And so wh whatever it is you're doing today at work or at home or wherever it may be, this is the foundation of what we do. We represent God by ruling and being his priests. And the whole purpose of that is to extend God's blessing to others. Would you agree that Eden, and we've been jumping back and forth between here and uh, the first part of Genesis, that the Garden of Eden was a place of abundant blessing? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Because the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us. Think about this. That everywhere we go, we take Eden with us. We become little pockets of Eden, little pockets of heaven wherever we go. And when we allow our hearts to be shaped by our true calling, you know, you know what do I do when I grow up? What is my job? That, that is important, but not near as important as always keeping these two things, that I rule and I serve and protect as a priest to extend God's blessing wherever I am. So that's your challenge for the day to stay rooted in these truths. I am a king. Yes, you are. And you represent God. And I am a priest. I extend God's blessing wherever I am. 
when you sense the tension of the day starting to get to you, allow yourself before you react to that tension to be re, to be rerooted in your original calling. That's your challenge. Any other questions? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we do not feel adequate to rule or to be a priest. But Lord, we want to cooperate with what we see in Scripture. We want to cooperate with your original calling and purpose for our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we stay rooted in you, that when the snakes come our way today, that we will not be overcome by them, but in the name of Jesus, we will crush them. For your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Go in peace. Have a great week.